till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black. Got the boosters black and mad. Riding on a horse. And hello once again, everybody, and welcome into a brand new week of coverage on the MI6 Sports Network, kicking off episode 26 of Wild Sports Talk. As usual, folks, along for the ride today, saddled up and suited and booted on this Monday night, October 12, 2020, is Isaiah Leung and Jonathan Mathis. We also, folks, are privileged to be joined tonight by a uh, one of our uh, most recent guests uh, and a new guest here on the MI6 Sports Network. That, was, that is the one and only... Caroline Teague joining us from K-Loop AM down in San Antonio on 9.30 AM, The Answer. Uh, Carolina, we greatly appreciate you staying up and for uh, joining us here tonight. How is everything going? And, uh, and above all else, uh, good to see you and welcome aboard. How's it going? It's going good. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate the invite. And of course, folks, Isaiah Leung, John Mathis also along. Isaiah from the Garage Studios up in the Bay Area in Fremont, California. Isaiah, as always, man, good to see you. How are we doing tonight? Great to see you guys. Uh, glad to be on the show tonight. I'm still kind of hungover from the Lakers clinching the championship. <laughs> but hey, we're gonna, I'm going to power through it and uh, knock this program out of the park. And also, folks, the sports judge himself, Jonathan Mathis, uh, one of the reasons why Carolina is a part of the show today. Uh, John, of course, buddy, good to see you. How are we doing tonight, my man? Hey, guys, I'm doing well. Hey, Carolina, it's good to have you on with us. Uh, you're know. more than welcome. We have a lot of fun here, so uh, brace yourself. But hey, guys, I'm excited after last night. I, I partied through the night after I finished uh, writing that column, and, and man, it, it's just so beautiful to see that the Lakers are back on top again. Um, once again, we we returned to glory, and I couldn't be more happy. Plenty of folks to digest over the weekend. Again, folks, Carolina Teague of K-Loop AM down in San Antonio joining us on the program. We have her info on the ticker tape down below. Again, you can find her across the web and also tune in if you can to her program on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. Central Daylight Time on K-Loop AM, 9.30 in San Antonio. But with that, Carolina, we'll start with you. Of course, talk about the NFL, and again, week five coming and going with the Chargers and Saints wrapping up the week. But of course, Carolina, the major story we're talking about, though, sadly in the NFL involves the Dallas Cowboys and, uh, and also the uh, major injury, of course, sustained by uh, Dak Prescott and their uh, very uh, incomparable 37-34 victory over the Giants from AT&T Stadium. Uh, Carolina, before we talk about the, uh, the DAC injury, uh, kind of tell us maybe what's the pulse like of the, of the Cowboy fan base, obviously new head coach and Mike McCarthy, DAC, of course, kind of battling Jerry Jones for a new contract. The injury is one thing, but so far Carolina, what kind of like is the pulse right now of the Cowboy faithful right now in the greater, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington area right now? Well, the Dallas Cowboy fan base is always going to be diehard no matter what. I mean, no matter what you put in front of them, they're always going to love the Cowboys. Um, but as of right now, I think there's a lot of um, people that are upset that the Dallas Cowboys haven't been doing as well as the media down here anticipated for them to do. And the only per one of the only people that was not 
excited about this upcoming season was myself because being somebody who follows the NFC North pretty closely, um, you could tell that Mike McCarthy is a conservative play calling coach. And even though he promised he was going to be utilizing the run game more with Ezekiel Elliott, he has yet to do that. Um, Ezekiel Elliott has kind of fallen into the back burner this season. So there is a lot of people that are upset about that. However, I definitely believe that for the most part, they support their team, but there is a lot of upset because the defense is not where they need to be if they want to take it to the next level. Isaiah, I think Carolina probably can vouch better than the three of us can here mm -hmm. in uh, across California about the Cowboy fan base and, you know, the, uh, the new uh, head coach in with Mike McCarthy, of course, uh, Dak kind of in a way battling Jerry Jones for the contract. But at the same time though, Isaiah, the Cowboys are fortunate that they're playing in such a you know terrible, dreadful NFC East division right now where nobody is above 500, and obviously the division is still kind of hanging in the balance. But Isaiah, at this juncture of the season, you know, five games, not really quite uh, getting towards like halfway in the season. But Isaiah, two and three on the year, what do you think right now is probably the main culprits, maybe minus, other than Dak's injury, are other areas of concern for Jerry Jones's ball club right now? I think it's definitely got to be the defense. You know, I think it's been well documented how bad the Cowboys defense has been all year. Uh, they've given up uh, at least 30 plus points in each of their uh, first five games of the season. They gave up 34 points yesterday to a Giants offense that was absolutely horrific to start the year. So there's got to be a lot of concern, man. Uh, the linebackers were playing in wrong spots. The cornerbacks look confused. Um, it's just been like that all year long. And I really don't understand. And I've said this multiple times on this show. I really don't understand why the Cowboys hired Mike Nolan. The last time he was a defensive coordinator back in 2016, I believe he was, uh, he didn't do a great job with the Atlanta Falcons. In fact, the Atlanta Falcons finished 31 in the NFL in uh, defensive rankings so uh, he did a really bad job with them and I don't know why Dallas brought him on I think Mike McCarthy um, just brought him on uh, because he was his buddy and they made sort of a buddy buddy type of a deal so I think that's why he came on but the defense has got to improve or else I think like ultimately Dallas will make the playoffs but I think their defense is going to be their Achilles heel because uh, of how bad it is and you can't have a bad defense going into the playoffs with that, everyone, uh, our resident Cowboys fan, Christy Wilson, in our chat box says, and she agrees with both Carolina and with Isaiah, the defense is like Swiss cheese, <laughs> too many holes. Oh. And also the Cowboys defense suffered another blow with Tristan Hill being out for the year with a knee injury as well on top of the Dak Prescott injury. But, John, what do you think or what do you make, though, uh, John, about the Cowboys so far again? I think Casey King goes on to a great point here. This might be a division, fellas, and Carolina that the uh, – Division probably that the division winner probably wins it with a losing record at this rate. Seven or nine is what Casey thinks will win the NFC East. But John, what what do you think probably minus Dak's injury is the main culprit or talking point for Dallas's struggles so far in the season? I think I think uh, we're all in favor though of it being more so with their defensive woes so far in the season. But John, what do you think and why? It's obviously a weak division. Um, yes, the Dallas Cowboys still have a chance to savage their season. But good luck with that defense that they have. That defense just gives up too many points. They shouldn't have gave up that. They shouldn't have gave up that many points yesterday to a Giants team. Look, the New York Giants are the worst offensive team in the league. You know, but it, it's going to be a long season 
if the Dallas Cowboys can't get it together defensively. Offense, it's not that concerning. The defense is more of a concern because they have too many holes. Um, anyone could, you know, just shred them into pieces uh, because <laughs> of how poorly the defense has played. They're going to have to make some adjustments. I, I don't see how they can make any adjustments with Mike Nolan as the defensive coordinator. I think that's where they will have to make a change. They will have to go with a defensive coordinator who knows what he's doing, who can, you know, preach defense into those guys and turn things around defensively. But it's going to be a tough, tough time for the Dallas Cowboys if they cannot figure it out defensively. You can have all the offense in the world. You can have a top running back like Ezekiel Elliott. You can have a veteran with experience like Andy Dalton, and they could possibly get you to the playoffs, you know, if that becomes the driving force. But that won't be enough to get it done in the playoffs. Definitely. I think a lot of people for sure agree. And also, Christy also chimes in. I said it last night, the team needs to rally around Andy Dalton. Also, Zeke needs to be better utilized as well. Carolina, would you agree with that point, though, that perhaps that Zeke has not been perhaps used to his full potential so far, again, with the new coaching staff, or at least with uh, McCarthy now, um, in, uh, now in charge of the offense, or at least in charge of the ball club now? Well, absolutely. I definitely think he needs to be utilized more efficiently and more effectively um, throughout this season. Something that, like I said, sticks out to me like a sore thumb is that we knew coming in with Mike McCarthy as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys is that he does not utilize the run game. He did a five minute promo video stating he was going to change and he was making sure he was going to utilize the run more, especially with Ezekiel Elliott. But we see as we go on throughout the season, he isn't utilizing Ezekiel Elliott to his full potential, which is very disappointing because you put all this money and you put all this power behind Ezekiel Elliott and they're utilizing the passing game a whole lot more. Now that's not to say that the Dallas Cowboys don't have have a strong uh, passing game. They have Michael Gallup. They have Amari Cooper. And they have a lot of people that are, they have a very great offense in general. But you see Ezekiel Elliott falling to the back burner. And I think that that's an issue with the Dallas Cowboys. But the primary issue, like you guys have mentioned, is that the Cowboys defense is the most upsetting thing. And I don't necessarily think that it all falls on Mike Nolan. Yes, Mike Nolan is a terrible defensive coordinator. And I believe that a part of the reason why he was hired is because, like, um, you guys had said he is friends with Mike McCarthy, number one. And number two, even though he did have a bad season with the Atlanta Falcons, he was effectively, as a linebacker coach for the Saints, he was effectively able to make turn to Mario Davis into an all an all pro. So it just seems like they used his track history with the Saints to hire him on and he's not able to produce for the Dallas Cowboys defensively and they lack the star talent that a defense needs there's no huge main person on the defense that's going to stand out like a star definitely agreed for sure a lot of holes and again I think Chrissy said it best so comparing them to Swiss cheese too many holes on the defensive <laughs> front some of the comments guys that rolled in uh first from my man Epson who said he loved the introduction graphic for the program also, our buddy Martin Garcia, the Chargers mm -hmm. are currently missing a Pro Bowl wide receiver, Pro Bowl guard, Pro Bowl defensive end, Pro Bowl cornerback, all pro starting safety, starting running back, starting right tackle, starting defensive tackle, and starting linebacker. And for somehow, I believe, holding off New Orleans right now. And also, did uh, Martin say hello to everybody 
from the 559 <laughs> Fresno, California, here in Sand, uh, out here in uh, out here in California. And also, Christy agrees. Mike Nolan is a bad defensive coordinator, in her opinion. Carolina, we'll go back to you. Of course, uh, the thing overshadowing this Dallas victory, though, on Sunday again is the very uh, un unfortunate and again very heartbreaking injury suffered by Dak Prescott on that run play. Uh, kind of got his leg caught up with uh, Logan Ryan on this play. And again, I and, uh, per the reports gathered and confirmed by ESPN sources, a uh, compound fracture and I believe also a dislocation suffered by Dak Prescott. And again, Carolina, I said it earlier this morning here uh, on a different stream I was hosting that when I initially saw the play in real time and saw Dak get hit, I thought he was cramping because he originally had grabbed at his right calf muscle. But then as you kind of pan down your vision or you look and you kind of look around the rest of the television screen, then you see his ankle at that angle. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, he just broke his damn ankle. You know, the <laughs> season is over and things like that. So um, I guess in general, uh, Carolina, your reaction and also uh, what this means for Dallas going forward without having uh, Dak Prescott for at least the for more than likely the remainder of this 2020 season. Uh, this this injury hits uh, the Dallas Cowboys organization and the fan base extremely hard. My initial reaction when I saw Dak get hurt was that I was heartbroken. I was like, "Oh my gosh, is he okay? Look at his freaking ankle! It looks like it's it's it looks like it's falling off of his bones." I was freaking out, and I was really really sad because you know then you see Dak getting carted off the field and he has tears in his eyes and it just looks so sad. And I feel really really bad for him. And the reason why I feel bad for him is not necessarily because of his contract issues and things like that which is something else that you guys I know are going to get into but what makes me sad the most about his injury is that he just came out about two or three weeks ago and he spoke about his mental health issues and how his uh, brother had committed suicide and he had been struggling with depression and mental health and a part of me believes that he was playing out this season to the best of his ability to not only get a contract that he deserves in my opinion agreed but also he was playing for his brother and the fact that he injures himself and you see him sad it's like i hope that dak is in a mental space where he doesn't go into that depressed mode and my fear before he got injured and he announced that he was having mental health issues was that people were going to use his depression against him and i just really hope that he doesn't sink into a dark place and he just keeps his mental health high and that's the most important thing to me so that's the thing that stood out to me the most and with dax injury is not necessarily his contract and what's upcoming but his mental health because at the end of the day that's the most important thing isaiah i think uh carolina's onto a great point again folks we're privileged to be joined tonight by uh, carolina teague from k loop 9 30 a.m the answer in san antonio you can catch her every sunday morning 10 o'clock central time live via their website or of course on 9 30 a.m if you're in the greater san antonio uh area down in texas but again isaiah i think though that carolina's onto a great tangent though that for one like i said though i thought it was a cramp initially then you see the ankle kind of at that angle and then uh, the cart comes out and then you're thinking you know, it's Joe Theismann all over again or Alex Smith all over again seeing, you know, uh, you know, an injury on live television. But at the same time, though, Isaiah, I think that, as I said, though, but CT's onto a great point, though, in regards to Dak and what he's had to endure over the past several months, you know, and even probably in years past, but more so just just this year in general uh, with uh, everything that he has had 
to endure and go through and, you know, jump those hurdles. And again, uh, more so, I think that Stephen A. Smith was very, you know, sounded off very well this morning in regards to, you know, Dak being put in kind of like this bind of a situation in regards to, you know, the franchise tag and, you know, the $31 million and the contract being a very big burden. You know, it's already on his back as this giant piano with, you know, Bill, you know, coming out about his mental health. But Isaiah, uh, your reaction, your thoughts to Dak's injury and also what it means for the Cowboys going forward into the remainder of this season. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, Carolina. I think that I really hope Dak Prescott doesn't go into this dark uh, mental space. Um, you know, I'm praying for him. Uh, that injury yesterday was very, very gruesome. Um, I really hope that uh, he can uh, – I know he had successful surgery, and I hope he can get back to his uh, football career because, you know, I've never met him personally, but uh, – Everybody has said that has met him that covers the NFL. They have said that Dak Prescott is one of the nicest guys alive. And this dude was absolutely balling out this season. He had 450 plus yards passing uh, in the last three games before yesterday's game. Uh, I think he was in line to get not Mahomes type of money, but maybe a little bit below Mahomes type of money with how he was playing. But I'm just really saddened by it. Uh, he, he oh, like, that massive contract that he was seeking to secure not just his future, but his children's future and his grandchildren's future are now all gone just like that. And it just really saddens me to uh, see that now uh, he, he will be lucky to even get close to potentially reaching that uh, contract that he was about to get. So I'm really yeah. like, yeah, I yeah, definitely I agree. You know, it, it, it's such a troubling situation when it happens in a year like this, where, of course, you have to kind of, in a way, prove yourself worthy of this, uh, you know, of a new contract and across the board. Uh, Christy agrees, guys, seeing Dak in tears made her cry. I think a lot of us probably had a tear shit at least. And also, Christy says, all, uh, all I know, Romo sounded horrified over what happened on the broadcast with Jim Nance. I definitely agree. And, John, you know, I think there's an old saying there, John, that, um, I forget exactly how it's phrased, but I think I'm going to say it, it to my best of a, to my best of abilities here. But I think there's an old saying, you know, why do bad things have to happen to good people? Like, for example, as Isaiah said about Dak Prescott, probably being one of the most, you know, well-respected players, whether you like the Cowboys or not, what he's probably has done in that area with community outreach off the field and, of course, his play and not kind of trying to be cast as a villain. But again, John, it's kind of like one of those things that you look at look at and say, you know, why do bad things have to happen to, you know, why do bad things have to happen to good people in this case? And again, I know, of course, it's football and the contact risk out there. But, John, uh, how about your thoughts, your reaction to that, to a Dax injury and what this might, in fact, mean for Dallas going forward with Andy Dalton having to take over the reins for the remainder of the season at this juncture? You know, Sunday was an awful day for the Dallas Cowboy fans and the team, and Jerry Jones, um, you know, I was fighting back tears as I saw that moment. It was a scary moment. Um, he suffered a devastating ankle injury. There's no uh, chance of him coming back this season. Um, and that's tough for a guy who suffers, like Carolina said, from depression. Um, this could have been an outlet for him. Football is an outlet for him. And to have that taken away from him because of a devastating injury, um, it could send him into a dark place. And I hope it doesn't. Um, this is a bleak time for not only him, but, 
you know, the Dallas community, um, for the fans. And now today you had fans lamenting his injury. Um, you know, you have people still trying to process this. Um, how did it happen? Why did it happen? Um, the last thing that should be on Dak Prescott's mind is his contract. His health is more concerning at this point. His mental state is what we should be more concerned about than a contract. You know, that's that's absolutely not as important right now. What's important is his health. And I'm I'm wondering, Colin, if he can come back as explosive as he already is. I, I, that's Whenever some, whenever a player suffered a severe injury like this one, you always wonder that. That always creeps into your mind because you wonder if the player can come back as explosive. Can he be that same, you know, player that he was after the injury? I, I, I'm really hoping for a speedy recovery. Um, I see his surgery was very successful, so that's a, that's that's a start for him. Um, you know, and the Dallas Cowboys, they're, they're going to have to go on without him. And maybe it's a good thing that they did sign Andy Dalton because he has experience as a starter when he was a starter in Cincinnati. So we'll see how it goes from, from here. And maybe this is, a, this could be a source of inspiration for this team to step it up and play a lot better in the absence of Dak Prescott. Definitely agreed. You know, this could be one of those uh, moments that maybe turns the season around for Dowskin, the uh, age veteran. Andy Dalton, now the uh, man in charge of the Cowboy offense, as in fact, Dak does recover. Uh, Angel Barragon Jr. writes in to say, everyone, it's heartbreaking seeing Dak. Uh, Dak had the whole football world ahead and was having his best year. Also, he says, so gruesome, ESPN had to censor the broken ankle uh, on that play. And also, Christy agrees, I think that Dak can come back as long as nothing bad happens, like he has a setback, perhaps, in his rehab process. Again, folks, privilege to be joined tonight by Carolina Teague once more from K-Loop, 9.30 a.m. down in San Antonio. Again, you can listen to her every Sunday morning, 10 o'clock Central Time on 9.30 a.m. The Answer on the Sports Dime down there in the greater San Antonio area. Uh, Carolina, with that in mind, there's one more football team to talk about down in the state of Texas. That, of course, is the Houston Texans, who, as we all know, have been somewhat in some uh, big-time disarray over the past <laughs> several weeks. I think it's putting it lightly, obviously. But, of course, uh, the news comes out of the Bill O'Brien firing after, uh, again, a very rough start to the season. Then more comes out in regards to a discussion or heated conversation between O'Brien and J.J. Watt. Uh, Carolina, what kind of like is the pulse now on Houston again, looking at Romeo Cornell, the oldest active head coach right now in the NFL and a lot of disarray with this ball club. And I think a lot of people would agree, though, definitely wasting the prime career right now of Deshaun Watson, at quarterback and also perhaps wasting away J.J. Watts time down in Houston, uh, Carolina. I know, of course, two uh, right now rough uh, seasons down there for the NFL franchise, but probably I think that you would agree. But Houston probably. Uh, the worst one right now between them and the Cowboys. Uh, how are things going right now down in the greater area for Houston? Uh, it's not going that great in the greater area of Houston. I believe, and I don't believe I know that basically everyone has given up on the Texans down here. Nobody cares about what's going on down here with the Texans. But when Bill O'Brien was finally fired, everyone rejoiced i posted one thing and everyone went bananas like 
everybody in Houston was so happy that Bill O'Brien finally got fired. And you have to you have to empathize with these fans because number one, they got rid of their star wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. Then Bill O'Brien, they have no gets rid of all their draft picks for 2021, so they don't have any draft picks. It's just a disaster in Houston. And also the issue with Deshaun Watson is well, this has always been his issue under Bill O'Brien. He's sure. never he's never had any protection. He's always like one of the top players that gets sacked the most because he hardly has any protection on the offensive line. So I think now that Bill O'Brien is finally gone, there's a huge kind of facelift. Even J.J. Watt had tweeted, he's finally having fun. He didn't say that it was because Bill O'Brien was gone, but it was because he was kind of throwing a little bit of shade that they're finally happy Bill O'Brien is gone. And I think this is the new era of a new dawn of what the Houston Texans could possibly become. I don't think they're going to become anything in 2020 or 2021, but I do think that moving forward, hopefully they can pick the pieces back up and become a team that stands out once again. And I feel extremely bad for somebody who is as a tremendous of a quarterback as Deshaun Watson for not being able to have the pieces around him to make him a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Definitely agreed. And as mentioned, we know that both the clubs are in disarray, but there's no one worse that's in disarray than Houston. And I think Christy Wilson hit it out of the park right here. The Texans are a hot mess. I think <laughs> everyone that's a football fan definitely agrees. But Isaiah, what do you probably make about the uh, Texans? I think Carolina, again, spot on uh, with her thoughts about, you know, everything that's gone on so far. It's been an uh, it's been a utter hot mess of dumpster fire for that matter, as we like to say it here on WST. But Isaiah... Uh, now, now, perhaps, though, again, blowing out uh, Bill O'Brien, again, Romeo Cornell, longtime NFL coach, either head coach or somewhere as an assistant, now getting a shot to perhaps get this ball club back on uh, the, the right track here. But Isaiah, what do you make, though, about uh, Houston right now at this point of the season? Again, a one and four start for this Houston ball club. I think Christy Wilson said it 100 uh, percent. The Texans are a hot mess. That team, they have a one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in Deshaun Watson, who Carolina said was uh, tremendously talented, but their offensive line is terrible. Their wide receiving corpse is led by Brandon Cooks, who always gets hurt each and every year. Uh, you don't know uh, what to expect from him, unfortunately. Uh, they have David Johnson, who right now, like he's having an okay year, but he hasn't really uh, been the David Johnson uh, that we know he could be uh, for the past three years. So, uh, the running back corpse looks bleak. Wide receivers, they look bleak. Offensive line is terrible. I think getting rid of Bill O'Brien was a good thing, but you can't really undo all the damage that he's done in Houston. I mean, they don't have any first or second round draft picks next season. So even if you tank the season, um, you won't be getting a top five pick to help rebuild your team. Uh, that pick will go to Miami instead. So it's a bleak outlook for the Houston Texans. But I just think that what the Texans need to do is they need to hire an off, uh, maybe an Eric Bieniemy, an offensive-minded coach that can tailor his offense towards Deshaun Watson and a guy that is liked 
by uh, a lot of people in the organization. Because I think that was Bill O'Brien's problem. You know, he did a lot of damage on the football side of things. But the big issue with Bill O'Brien was that he just couldn't get along with everybody. This guy clashed with uh, whoever he brought in to be either his general manager or his president of football operations. So they need to get a guy that um, can bring harmony to this organization and a guy that can tailor his offense and help work around Deshaun Watson. Uh, some comments, guys, that in fact rolled in real quick. Uh, first from Angel, he says, I think the Texans can bounce back but will not make the postseason. Also, Casey King says the Texans are a joke. They need they need rebuilding big time. Don't be surprised if they dump Watson or even J.J. Watt. Also, a quick game break from this Monday Night Football game. Chargers now leading 27-20 with New Orleans currently having the ball. Isaiah, I told you, man, to not trust the L.A. Chargers, and what do you do? But at the same time, still a long way to go in this ball game. and also Angel uh, agrees with all of us. I think that uh, he's going to give uh, – Carolina's going to give your show a chance uh, uh, in regards to uh, perhaps tuning in from Southern California. And, again, that's every Sunday morning, 10 o'clock Central Time, 8 o'clock a.m. Pacific Time. Thank you. On, on uh, 9.30 a.m. K-Loop down there in San Antonio. And also, Casey agrees. He's glad that, uh, glad that his Rams dumped Brandon Cooks as well. But, uh, John, what do you make, though, about the Texans? I know, man, of course, we have talked probably a lot about maybe seeing Bill O'Brien fired. Then, of course, we saw it happen uh, earlier last week. But, John, uh, what do you make, though, about this? I think, though, Isaiah probably added a great nugget, though, to the, uh, the storyline here in regards to Bill O'Brien. Just not really gelling or, you know, and not really gelling with people, but also as well pretty much in a, in a roundabout way, just clashing heads with everybody he brought in. That's not a good look for a guy like Bill O'Brien, but what do you think and why? Yeah, I, I think he clashed with, you know, a number of people within the organization because of an ego trip. It's, it's just that simple. You know, the guy wanted everything his way. Um, obviously, if it didn't work out his way, he would bump heads with that individual. And it's obvious that that team is finally at peace that that team could kind of get back to where they once were uh, without Bill O'Brien now. You know, J.J. Watt feels relieved that he's gone, um, you know, and I, I think what the Texans need, they need a culture change. That's exactly what they need. They need to start over and rebuild around Deshaun Watson because it's really sad to see that they have an athletic quarterback who's that good and he has entered his prime but yet you're wasting it because you uh, have made some bad moves that has, you know, plagued your organization. But you know how you guys talked about the offensive line being terrible? When has the Texas offensive line ever been any good? It was terrible when Derek Carr's brother was there, David Carr. That's why he used to get sacked all the time. It was terrible when Matt Schaub was there. He used to get sacked all the time. When you play for that team, you have to run for your life. And they're, and they're lucky that they have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson who's able to elude the pressure and who's good with his nifty footwork to be able to, you know, try to um, make more time to get a playoff. I mean, you know, this Texas team, I, I guess Carolina knows it best because she lives in Texas. <laughs> Obviously, nobody cares anymore. Um, so that's bad when nobody cares. That means it's time to make some major changes to try to make people believe in you once again. 
By the way, I think I heard a stat this morning on the herd with Colin Coward, fella, uh, everyone. And all I heard pretty much was that I believe uh, Coward said that Joe Burrow was on pace to be sacked 70 times this season. And I would think that Deshaun Watson is pretty damn close to probably getting uh, around the 70 sack mark, too. Some more thoughts rolling in, everyone. Um, we got one coming in here from Christy Wilson, who agrees with John. The Texans O-line has always sucked in her mind. Definitely agree. Isaiah wanted to uh, add on one point. What yeah. do you got first, man? Yeah, I want to ask you guys all, um, what do you guys think about the potential of the Texans trading J.J. Watt? I know he's been a huge pillar of their team for years, but since the Texans don't have any assets right now to rebuild their team in the coming years, I think if they do trade J.J. Watt, I think it will be the best move for them moving forward because you could probably get a first-round pick um, and a second-round pick for J.J. Watt, and that will really re help you replenish your roster. Uh, I think they would probably consider that, but at the same time, it would have to be like a boatload of draft picks and maybe someone probably as good, if not maybe even better than J.J. Watt to come in and probably fill that void on defense. But he would have to get a huge amount of draft picks in my mind back, probably a couple of first rounders, a couple of second rounders, maybe. But I think that they would probably listen to offers, but I'm not fully sure that they would probably engage with any trade talks. Carolina, how about you? Um, I think that they definitely would have the conversation to trade J.J. Watt simply because they need the power on their offensive line and they need more pieces around them to make them a winning team. And like uh, Isaiah said, they gave up uh, so many draft picks for, or they don't have any draft picks for the first and second round for next year. So there is a possibility that there is conversations like that. But if they were to have those kind of conversations, whether he decides to go to the Ravens, which is a really hot topic, if JJ Watt's going to end up on the Ravens, th he, they really cannot blow that trade deal. Like you cannot, like you have to get a couple first rounders or there's got to be something where they cannot blow it. Because if you give up J.J. Watt and give up nothing essentially in return like they did with um, DeAndre Hopkins, then it's going to be a hot mess again. And everybody's going to say, well, maybe the problem wasn't Bill O'Brien. So I do see them having that conversation. But if they do, they have to really get something spectacular in return. And I do want to add to your point about Joe Burrow uh, that Colin Cowherd said that he's on track to be sacked 70 times. That does not surprise me. And I don't think that Deshaun Watson's going to get to the level of how many times Joe Burrow has been sacked because the offensive line really, really sucks. And I feel really bad for Joe Burrow. So I just wanted Same. to throw that in there. I feel so bad for him. And um, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be sacked more than Joe Burrow this season. Sadly, he's the punching bag of NFL quarterbacks this season. He, uh, he is. He scrambles more than my eggs for breakfast in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is great. That is great. John, how about you in regards to Isaiah's point, though? Uh, I think, though, Carolina's right, though. This is definitely a trade offer that uh, the Texans can absolutely not botch. They have to hit a home run on this one or a grand slam in this case. John, what do you think about this and why? They have to hit a Denny's Grand Slam to make this happen. For sure. I'll take for the sure. egg scrambled yeah. on that, just like Carolina said. I'll take yeah. the scrambled eggs with that one, definitely for yeah. sure. If they're going to trade JJ, and, and you know, it's quite fitting to, uh, you know, start putting him on the market to see what you can get for him because he's a veteran. Um, right. You know, he's, he's a great defensive player when he's healthy. Um, he's the, you know, the face of, 
your franchise. He has shown great leadership since he's, uh, you know, arrived to Houston. So a team would definitely take him, but you can't be a fool either and just trade him and get nothing in return for him. I think if you trade him and you put him on the market, you better you better have some, you better get some stepping stones for him. You better get some guys that's going to be some building blocks for your team in the future. Couple more comments, everyone that trickled in. Uh, quick game break from Christy Wilson. Put the wrong one up there. Game break. Saints and Chargers all tied at twenty-seven at the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. Angel writes in about the Chargers. They are the best one and three team ever. Uh, Angel, though, in regards to the question brought up, though, uh, Angel writing in about the question asked uh, by Isaiah about perhaps trading away J.J. Watt. If they are going to blow it up and have a fire sale, I say do it. The Texans have nothing to lose for the remainder of the season. Also, Christy also writes in, a team would have to give the Texans everything, including the kitchen sink, in order to get J.J. Watt. I definitely think, as mentioned, that the uh, Texans cannot afford to strike out on that trade offer. Um, Isaiah did actually write in, the Texans trading J.J. Watt would be like the Cowboys trading Herschel Walker. Definitely have to nail that trade. I definitely think they absolutely have to as well. And also, uh, Christy uh, agrees about the Denny's Grand Slam. Then again, I do live in Slam Diego, California, <laughs> so I'm totally used to slams. And also, uh, Angel agrees, make mine sunny side up at Norm's in Los Angeles. A great spot for breakfast served 24-7. Oh, With and, and here's another game break. The Dodgers are losing to the Braves. Oh, my goodness. Long way to go, though, still, or at least time is running out for game one, but still a long way to go in the series. It is, uh, of course, a get, uh, best four out of seven uh, in the National League Championship Series. We'll have more about that a bit later in the show. With that, guys, we'll now move over to the NBA, the 2020 NBA Finals concluding on Sunday night as the L.A. Lakers are back on top of the mountain after a 10-year drought of championship supremacy. They knock off Miami in a spirited game 6-103. Uh, 106-93, I should say, to knock off the Heat when they're 17th NBA title and they're 12th in the uh, in, uh, 12th in the City of Angels. And, of course, Carolina, it's impossible to not think about this Lakers season and not think about Kobe and Gianna not being here to, of course, be with the ball club, celebrate the championship. I think Jeannie Buss was very emotional. By the way, hats off to Jeannie Buss, the first female owner in the NBA to win an NBA championship, of course, having her own issues with her family and trying to live up to her dad's expectations, firing her brother a couple years ago and all of the, you know, uh, the botched draft picks, the botched uh, players, the botched pitches for free agents. And of course, Carolina, uh, LeBron and AD put the Slayers team on their back to a uh, six game victory over Miami for their 17th title. And also LeBron's fourth and also LeBron as well, winning his, um, uh, winning another title with a different franchise. I believe he's the first player to win uh, multiple titles with three different ball clubs for Carolina. Uh, more so, let's talk about the game first. Uh, we'll get into a bit more about the uh, bubble in a second. But Carolina, I know, of course, anyone out there that's a basketball fan, whether they like the Lakers or not, emotional might see the Lakers, for one, get back on top of the mountain, but also, of course, feeling the spirit of Kobe and Gianna with this ball club throughout the course uh, ever since January 26. Carolina, give us your final takeaways from the Lakers beating Miami to win their 17th NBA title and their 12th in Los Angeles. Uh, my take is all over the place with this one. I have things to add for both sides. Number one, I'm really sad that Jimmy Butler did not get a title because Jimmy Butler is one of my 
favorite players in the NBA. And I firmly believe that in the bubble this season, nobody played as hard as Jimmy Butler. I give a second. Actually, it's a tie between, I would say, Damian Lillard and Jimmy Butler. To me, those were the two people that wanted it the most out of everybody. And I was really sad to see that Jimmy Butler was not able to get a ring. Unfortunately, they had injuries and they're kind of a younger team as far as everybody else surrounding them besides Jimmy Butler. But for the Lakers, I was also, it was kind of a bittersweet moment. I was really happy that the Lakers finally got out on top after 10 years, which is, by the way, not a long time. And I also think that, you know, Kobe and Gianna not being here was the part that was the most bittersweet because I feel like their spirit was with the Lakers organization and Kobe Bryant was with LeBron and AD and Rondo and Dwight Howard and everybody on that team throughout the whole step of the way. They had been doing an incredible job pre-bubble and they did a great job um, postseason and they were able to take it all the way. So I'm really happy um, for the Lakers simply because not only, you know, are this is their 17th ring total as an organization, but also because it was the year that Kobe Bryant passed away. And it was just a really bittersweet end to a season that was very uh, crazy because of the bubble situation and also very tragic because Kobe Bryant had passed. Caroline, I'll go back to you with one thing I wanted to ask. We've, we, all of us here on the MI6 Sports Network have given our thoughts about the bubbles in both basketball, NBA, WNBA, the NHL. Uh, and again, these environments, of course, uh, Major League Soccer tapped into it too. They sadly had to send uh, send two teams home because of positive COVID-19 test. That was Nashville in Dallas, actually, right as they came into Orlando. But I think we saw that this could work, and it did work, though, for the NHL. Again, 24 teams uh, across two different, uh, two different hub cities in Toronto and in Edmonton, 12 apiece. The NBA, 22 teams going down to the uh, Walt Disney World Complex. Yeah, a couple of players having some issues away from the bubble environment. But Carolina, give us your final thoughts about hopefully what is a one-and-done situation. But again, that the bubbles did their jobs were, again, no positive tests for the NBA and no positive tests for the NHL. Yes, I know, of course, the WNBA had a setback. The uh, MLS had a, had a couple setbacks. But uh, Carolina, give us your final stance and your thoughts about how, in fact, uh, all these leagues made it work throughout the uh, entire course of this pandemic. If I had to just give a quick take, I think that the NBA deserves an A-plus for how they handled the NBA bubble situation this season. I feel like they did an incredible job confining everything to one space and making sure everything was just clean cut throughout the whole way through, making sure everybody was – they were strict on their rules and – Everybody else kind of is a little bit below that. So I'd say around a B plus, B minus. But if I had to give an F to anybody, it, it wouldn't necessarily be an F, maybe a D minus. It would be the NFL. I think the NFL totally botched it. And I think they've been doing a terrible job. They had no plan throughout the whole entire season. All the players were wondering what was going to happen. And I think if I had to give a great grade to somebody, it would be the NBA or to an, a league, it would be the NBA. And if I'd have to contrast it to the whole other side of the spectrum, that would be the NFL. We would, and uh, myself, John and Isaiah, Carolina would throw Major League Baseball in there too. I know that they're in a bubble now, but this could have been done many months ago. Some more comments trickling in, everybody. Uh, quick game break too from the uh, uh, from Globe Life Field. I've been saying park for a while, but Globe Life Field in Arlington. It's now 3-1 Atlanta over the Dodgers in game one of the NLCS. 
uh, Christy Wilson, Jeannie Buss, AKA a class act. Definitely for sure. Again, with her so much that she's had to go through again, her dad's pass, uh, her dad's passing, firing siblings. And of course, getting her Lakers back on top of the mountain. Angel agrees with everybody. Applaud the NBA for pulling it off. I didn't think the bubble would actually work. And also as well, uh, Casey agrees with uh, Carolina. Jimmy Butler would uh, will get one eventually. Rather, it's with the Heat or uh, elsewhere perhaps. Definitely agree for sure. And I mean, he played his tail off as well. So we'll see how things are in fact going with that. And also as well, real quick, um, for Angel, he says the... Uh, the Rams, I think, are already loaded with Goff, Woods, and, and uh, Cooper Cup. The Rams are easily a 12 or 11 or 12 win team as well. And also, David says, uh, David B. Stotts, next drop that has to end or needs to end is the Indians. I will throw the Padres and San Diego Sports in there as well. And at the same time, Casey agrees, though, everyone. NBA did a great job as well as the NHL. But with that, though, Isaiah, we'll go back over to you, though, man. More so, uh, final takeaways from this game, as mentioned, of course, the Lakers. Uh, like I said, though, I have a surprise for everybody coming up a bit later in the show that will be uh, shown on air here. But with that in mind, though, Isaiah, uh, final takeaways. I know it's been probably hard to digest still as a Laker fan to see them back on top. But Isaiah, uh, in a nutshell, how about final thoughts on the uh, uh, Lakers closing out Miami in six games to win their 17th NBA championship? Yeah, Callum, before I uh, get my thoughts on that, I just want to give a game break. The Chargers and the Saints were tied at 27, but Justin Herbert threw a bomb to – I think it was Mike Williams to get the Chargers into field goal range. But the kicker for the Chargers, uh, he misses the field goal. In fact, the ball bounces off the crossbar. No good. The Chargers choke. <laughs> and now the game is going into overtime. So, unfortunately <laughs> for me, my like I will have to wait to see who wins that game and maybe it'll validate my pick. But as far as this game is concerned, you know, I as a Laker fan, I'm really happy that the Lakers are back on top. And I'm especially happy that we won it for Kobe Bryant. Um, this was so satisfying. Uh, the Lakers, they saved their best performance for the final game, the clinching game. Their defense was swarming last night. Miami, um, they just couldn't get any shots off. And when they did get shots off, it was just horrific shots. LeBron James led the Lakers uh, on offense. Anthony Davis was tremendous. The role players, they showed up. Danny Green, people have been giving him death threats for his missed shot in game five. He came out and knocked a couple of triples down. KCP was balling out. Uh, Kuzma kind of did his thing. Uh, it was just a great uh, finish to a great season for the Los Angeles Lakers. They saved their best game for last, and I'm just so happy for these guys, man. These guys have fought all year long, um, and they certainly deserve it because when you look at this team, like I know a lot of people are going to say, and I brought this up last night on the night shift, and that is, you know, they could have easily – gotten emotionally crippled after the after Kobe's death because a lot of these guys looked up to Kobe but instead they got off the mat and they used Kobe's death as a fire to help them win a championship and I'm so glad that the Lakers are NBA champs you know John we've been we've been eagerly waiting to see your reaction I know man that of course that you have been writing and you've been obviously uh, commenting on these games on Facebook but of course John I know it's been a long time coming for uh, the for the uh, for Laker Nation but John uh, if you can give us maybe uh, the clip notes for ver uh, version of maybe your thoughts on this again man uh, great to again see the Lakers win this ball game win number 17 and finally 
you know, kind of get back onto the winning ways after such a long drought for the uh, organization? It was a perfect ending to an imperfect season. Um, you know, the way the NBA handled this entire situation, uh, been that it was a pandemic year, um, like, like our good friend Carolina said here, it was an A plus. Um, the NBA did a, did an amazing job, and so did the Lakers. Um, the Lakers, you know, played inspiring basketball in Game Six to close it out. Um, the Heat never led. Jimmy Butler, I have to tip my hat off to him because he was extraordinary. But no one was better than Anthony Davis, and no one had an answer for Anthony Davis. What Anthony Davis did was legendary. Um, Anthony Davis is an amazing player. He's uh, extremely fun to watch. And I think with him being in LeBron's presence, you have seen tremendous growth in him as a player. Um, this team will go down as one of the greatest Laker teams in history. They did something that no team has ever done before. They won in a pandemic year. Um, that's hard to do because not only did you, you know, take a hiatus for, what, almost four months, but you had to play without any fans. And sometimes that's what fired up these players. But I think what fired up these Lakers was the fact that they were doing it for Kobe. They had that on their mind all year long, that we're going to do this for Kobe. We're going to win this championship for Kobe. And they won number 17. Now they are tied with the Boston Celtics. So now Laker fans don't have to hear that they trail the Boston Celtics. Um they are right there with them, and they could possibly repeat next year. Now, I know that's next year, but if they keep this team together, they could possibly win back-to-back, -back. Um, you know, but it, it was an amazing night last night, um, a great night for Laker Nation. Fans celebrated, hopefully responsibly. Uh, I know most of them did. They celebrated with uh, dignity pride and class and you know it, it's been a long time coming for laker nation and for a story franchise like this one i was very happy as a fan and as a writer i was very happy and i couldn't be more proud uh, to be a laker fan and i'm happy for Jeannie bus what an amazing job she did she deserves a lot of credit because she took this franchise away from her brother because she knows that he was dismantling this franchise. And so she took full control of the organization. And look where the Lakers are now. They're champions again. What happens? LeBron comes in. They bring him in as a free agent. Then after that, you pull off this trade, a remarkable trade, to acquire Anthony Davis to form this formidable duel one of the best in the NBA that we've ever seen. This is the best Laker duel since Shaq and Kobe. The thing that I admire the most about LeBron James and Anthony Davis is that their egos have not gotten in the way. Both of these guys root each other on. 
They cheer for each other. They build each other up and they play together. And I think that's the difference. Not to take anything away from Kobe and Shaq, but what broke them up was their egos. Absolutely. And they couldn't win more championships together. LeBron and Anthony Davis, they could win more championships together because they play together and they have that great chemistry and they have this unbreakable bond that has, you know, created a positive winning atmosphere. And it's just great to see. And so it was an amazing night. It was a historic night. Congratulations to LeBron on his fourth NBA championship with his third different team. And congratulations to Anthony Davis on his first. And let's give credit to the supporting cast. Even though they didn't play to our liking, they did enough to help this team get over the hump and win an NBA championship. Some thoughts rolling in, everybody, in the chat box. Uh, Angel says it won't be too long until for 30 on the San Diego Sports Curse. <laughs> Goodness gracious, I'd be more than willing to narrate that thing for sure. That actually needs to happen. Uh, also, uh, Christy, with some advice to uh, Isaiah, don't bet against Drew Brees, Isaiah. And also as well, Angel says the Chargers currently on a five-game Monday Night Football losing streak. Angel with the best one of the night, though, for the uh, for the segment. Credit the word to Danny Green for using Lakers fan stupidity as motivation I, I i like i said yesterday you know all these so-called fans that want to send death threats have probably never played a sport in their life and i can at least vouch for that in regards to actually playing a sport so absolutely despicable behavior for sure and also casey agrees the lakers must re-sign anthony davis and of course angel will go back and say no asterisk needed for the uh, lakers championship and also angel one more if Jeannie wasn't running the Lakers, uh, they would have been the West version of the New York Knicks. The brother cared more about the beach and act like a beach boy than actually running the Lakers as a ball club. I think a lot of people definitely, uh, for sure. No, there's no, there's, no, there's no abstract next to this championship, and here's the reason why. They did it in a bubble with no fans. They still played the full season. The season, yes, got delayed, but they still managed to finish out the season and the Lakers still had to go through some tough obstacles to get to where they were. So, you know, they played some tough opponents. They had the Denver Nuggets, who I felt was better than the Miami Heat. I, I think that was their most challenging team that they faced. And then they had the Portland Trail Blazers, and then they had the Houston Rockets, one of the top offenses in the league. So they played a full season. It just got delayed due to the pandemic they had to figure things out and once they did um you know it was well organized and the nba was able to resume the season couple of game breaks guys first and foremost judging by john's tv that atlanta la game has in fact gone final the braves win game one over the la dodgers in game one of the nlcs and also real quick a game break the saints have gone in front 30 27 in overtime but the chargers do get the ball back because as mentioned that NFL overtime rule will now give the Chargers the ball with still 5.08 left to go in the overtime session. With the, but the Saints drove it down the field. Nine plays, 48 yards in just over four minutes and 52 seconds. So the Chargers have a chance, though, to still at least uh, tie or even win the ball game. And also Shri Anan from the network writes in, how about those Braves, baby? Let's go. And also <laughs> Angel agrees with you, John. 
Exactly. Yeah, and also yeah. the same applies though to the, to the uh, Lightning for winning the uh, Stanley Cup as well in the bubble environment too up in uh, up in Edmonton as well. So uh, you guys are both on the same page for sure. Let me say something. Let me respond to uh, uh, <laughs> Sire real quick. The shrink. The name? I'm, I'm so sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. But he might be right. The Braves might actually take this series. After seeing this game tonight, there's no excuses. Dodgers couldn't get hits. They couldn't score any runs. They, they managed to get one run. And the pitching, the back end of their bullpen was terrible. It was, it was horrific. I watched the game as I was doing the show, and it just didn't look good. I know it's one game, but it just don't look good. And you know you know why I give up so easy, Colin? Because I've seen the movie over and over and over again, and I'm ready for my money back. I'm ready to get the refund, and, and you know, it, it's just terrible, man. Especially when it's October and it's Halloween season. Yeah, you don't want to be watching yeah. horror movies on the daily. But again, folks, we are privileged to be joined tonight exactly. by Carolina Teague from 9.30 a.m. The Answer. K-Loop a.m. down in San Antonio Catcher every Sunday morning, 10 o'clock Central Time, 8 o'clock Pacific. In the mornings on Sunday on 9.30 a.m. Uh, with that, uh, Carolina, we'll uh, get you out on this topic here again about the hometown San Antonio Spurs. Of course, a George Popovich ball club. For the first time, I think, in club, in like, what feels like forever, they don't make the uh, NBA postseason. Of course, that very lengthy, uh, very lengthy playoff uh, streak coming to a close alley. But however, though, uh, probably a year, though, that would be viewed for the first time in a long time by Spurs fans as a rebuild mode season. Of course, DeMar DeRozan leading the way with that ball club. But Carolina, give us your overall rundown on the Spurs and really what made, and, uh, and more so, what do you think probably was a big factor to why this ball club, who's been so good and so consistent in the postseason, did not get a chance to be invited to the postseason party this year? Um, I feel like it's been 23 years, so it's been a long, great journey. And I think what they have been able to do as far as being able to maintain their longevity is they came up with a system because they were winning for so long that they didn't get the lottery picks. They didn't get high draft picks for a very long time. Actually, in 23 years, the last one was Tim Duncan, So the which was in 1999. So that's a Good very enough. long time. Yeah, that's a very long time to have a high draft pick. So what the Spurs ended up doing was they implemented a system uh, where instead of just throwing their rookies right onto the court, they would put them in the they would put them in the G League with the Austin Spurs. So you see that with Keldon Johnson, who's one of their breakout stars, uh, or who she is going to be one of their breakout stars this season. He started in the G League for a few years, and they transferred him over to the Spurs. Then they also did that with Lonnie Walker. They do that with all their rookies, and it's a system, and it helps build them up to be a professional basketball player, NBA player. Now, the issue that a lot of people have with that system now is that now there is no big three. There's no Tim Duncan. There's no Tony Parker. There's no Manu Ginobili. And the people that they have as their veterans, which is LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, aren't too necessarily great players like LeBron James and Anthony Davis together. They don't mesh well really on the court. So the issue that a lot of people have with the Spurs is how come they wait and have these people in the G League still and don't just throw their rookies that are star that are star potential on the court right away. But they're still stuck in their ways. They have their system and it's been successful for a long time. 
And we could talk all day long about whether that system works or not. But at the end of the day, I think that the Spurs organization has the best interest of their players at heart and knows how to build their players up to be strong players and potential championship players and, you know, to be able to make it to the playoffs. Uh, so with that being said, uh, the Spurs, in order for them to be successful next season, is they need to focus more on the youth. Uh, the rotations earlier this season, they were not the best rotations. They would have Marco Bellinelli and Brent Forbes on the court at the same time, which are offensively not the best players at all. And defensively not good at all so it was just a disaster waiting to happen so after the bubble when Lamarcus Aldridge got injured they were playing around more with the rotations they got a lot more time with the youth on the court with DeJounte Murray uh, with uh, Keldon Johnson got some minutes Lonnie Walker DeMar DeRozan and Derek White and then they saw an increase in their defense when you have DeJounte Murray and Derek White on the court at the same time they're better defensively and I think Keldon Johnson is also going to be a great defense a player as well so I think this year necessarily there's uh, five stages to a rebuild and right now I think they're in stage two which is focusing on the youth and I think that next season it's going to be a season where they're all working together and working on their um just their um I guess like how they mesh well I can't find the word for it right now but how well they mesh together and I think that it's going to be a beautiful thing to watch I'm not tripping about it you know, and if there's one coach in the NBA who I, who I would trust to get a team that was in the playoffs for 20-plus years back into it, I would trust Greg Popovich with my life, honestly, to get a team as good as the Spurs have been back in the postseason. A quick game break, everybody. Let's all sing along, but the Chargers lose again. The Chargers <laughs> lose again. 60 years of losing continues on and on. Once again, folks, the L.A. Chargers embarrass themselves once again. 30-27 New Orleans over the Chargers from the Superdome on a game-winning field goal and a turnover on downs to lose the ball game for the L.A. Chargers, who are now 1-4 on the season, while New Orleans is now 3-2. and two. John, what do you got for us, buddy? And the Dodgers lose again. The Dodgers lose again. <laughs> I don't care. I ain't tripping anymore because this, this, the Lakers own – our city. This is a Lakerhood. Time triple. Lakerhood <laughs> for sure. And with that, Isaiah, shame, shame, shame <laughs> for picking against Drew Brees. And once again, Christy wants to remind you, never bet against Drew Brees. But with that, Isaiah, let's get back on track, though. Uh, first, though, uh, Carolina, want to get your thoughts on this. Angel says uh, real quick about the Spurs. They should be all right next season. He sees them at 43 and 39, 7th or 8th in the West. Is that logical in your mind, or what do you think? Um, I'm not really good at predicting records, so you're barking up the wrong tree when it comes <laughs> to that. But as far as 7th or – I mean, as far as, like, the actual record with how many wins or losses, that's not my strong point. So if that's what you want to go with, so be it. But 7th or 8th seed, to me, that's – that's good, but it's not where I think they need to be. I think they need to fail. I'm probably one of the rare people that thinks they need to fail to pick themselves back up. Also, we saw the Suns emerge from the bubble. So I have predicted that the Suns are going to have a better season than the San Antonio Spurs. So I want to see if that happens. Um, but I definitely think that the Spurs... I do see potential for them to be in the eighth seed, but I would much rather them focus on their rotations, 
focus on their cohesiveness, focus on the youth, and focus on who they're going to build up to be their next head coach and how everybody's going to work together. That way, rather than being at eight, comfortable at the eighth season, like they have eight seed, like they have been for the past few years, they can come out and emerge as potential championship players again, just like the Lakers, because we look up to the Lakers and that's just the <laughs> pinnacle at the moment right now. <laughs> And, and it's a rivalry, but one of those that's one of the rare, you know, rivalries built out of respecting and both organizations looked upon as some of the cornerstone marquee franchises uh, of the NBA. Some thoughts trickling in about Greg Popovich. Casey agrees with me. Greg Popovich is definitely a great coach and we'll get them turned around very, very shortly. Uh, Angel believes that the little giants could beat the LA Chargers <laughs> right now. I think a lot of teams could beat the Chargers. Isaiah's high school team could probably beat the Chargers right now. Uh, Carolina, one more thought here coming in about the Spurs before we actually get to Isaiah. James Gonzalez writes in, he would trade LaMarcus Aldridge if he's the Spurs. He never quite fit the system in San Antonio. What's the feeling like in your mind about uh, uh, LA being right now in San Antonio from your perspective? He hit the uh, nail on the head. That's the consensus of everybody around San Antonio. A lot of people want everybody, or everybody wants LaMarcus Aldridge to get rid, get out of the system. He really doesn't fit the system well. He's had issues with Greg Popovich in the past. He got over them. I think he's a great dude. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a good person. But as far as does he fit in the system? No, I don't think he does. And I also think that he will not think there's clues that he wants to go back um, to his old team. I, what was he doing with the travel? Portland, yes. Portland. He played with Portland. Yeah, he wants to go back to Portland. So um I'm I'm not tripping if he wants to go, he can go. I'm not maybe he uh, should have stayed there. Huh? Maybe he should have stayed there. Well, yeah, maybe he should have. I mean, I mean, but at the same time, um what's done is done. There's nothing you can do about it. So he's gone or he's here, but uh the consensus is he doesn't fit the system pretty well. And the Spurs are keep talking about how they need a big that's going to stand out. I think people here are looking for a Tim Duncan and I think their head is in the clouds because Tim Duncan doesn't come around every now every every so often. So, um, like I said, I agree with him 100%. LaMarcus Aldridge, if there's a key player, his contract is coming up after this past season. He's going to be able to leave if he wants to. Then he should leave. So, um, I don't have no hard feelings towards it. It's just they need to build another championship team because I can't go on the air and drag them all the time. Like, it's just going to be a disaster. I want to talk about something good like you guys. Um, but last but not least, before I go, I do want to say about the Chargers. I don't think that you I think this all lies on Mr. Money Badger himself. Um, he had one opportunity to win the game and he blew it. So it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> Carolina Teague, we thank you dearly for joining us and for, again, staying up thank somewhat you, late in the central time zone. Uh, Carolina, I, I've been trying my best, but we'll let you have the floor to uh, let uh, everyone know where they can find you on the web and, of course, about the program you host every Sunday morning. Oh, thank you so much. Um, first of all, thank you, Jonathan, for inviting me on. Thank you guys so much for having me on. You guys did a fantastic job today. Um, thank you. And you guys can find me on um, you. you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Carolina Teak underscore. You can also find me on Facebook. And my show is called The Sports Dime. It's in San Antonio. But we also have a podcast that comes out that same day. So we're available on all platforms. And it's from 10 to 11 a.m. on 930 a.m. The answer it is The Sports Dime. So make sure you tune in. 
Do it, folks. Carolina mm -hmm. Teague, again, we uh, all thank you very much for uh, being a part of the MI6 family tonight, and we wish you all the best, and we hope to have you back on sometime in the future. Take care and stay safe and stay healthy. Don't be a stranger, and don't be keeping me up this late. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys oh, are going to my demon time. Bye. See you later. Again, Bye. folks, Carolina Teague joining us today from deep in the heart of Texas, folks. Uh, again, you can find her, folks, as mentioned, every Sunday morning on 9.30 a.m., The Answer, K-Loop a.m., down in San Antonio. Some more thoughts rolling in, fellas, real quick about this. Uh, Angel did, in fact, write in. If they weren't so far behind before the shutdown, the Suns could have easily made the postseason. I definitely think Isaiah will agree. And also, Angel says, yeah, twice he missed an early extra point as well earlier in the game. Uh, Casey, with a parting message to Carolina, thanks for tuning in and love your takes on sports and hope you come back again sometime soon. And again, folks, you can find Carolina, as mentioned, on 9.30 a.m. K-Loop a.m. in San Antonio. And again, via, I think, probably iHeart, TuneIn, or all the above. Uh, with that, Isaiah, let's kind of stay on track, though, with the Spurs real quick, though. Again, like I said, though, first time in 23 years. So in perspective, I was three years old. The last time a Greg Popovich ball club missed the postseason. It's been a long time coming for the Spurs, though. But, man, I think the Carolina was right, though. Mainly the only problem I really see, though, with the Spurs ball club, bud, is LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, what do you do with this contract? How do you perhaps go about restructuring or perhaps dealing him out of town? But, Isaiah, maybe minus LaMarcus Aldridge, Aldridge, what's the main reason or main thing, though, that I think that you think the Spurs have to improve on for next season to kind of get over that hump of being a bottom, you know, in a way, a bottom feeder in the Western Conference top eight? Well, I think Carolina said it best. You know, the Spurs right now, they are just young. They have uh, all-stars that, you know, aren't really up to the level of LeBron James and Anthony Davis or even at the level of James Harden and Russell Westbrook. But And we know in the NBA, you need stars to help you win. And the Spurs right now, they don't have those type of stars. And, you know, the the reason why the Spurs right now are always, like, nibbling at the 10th spot or the 9th seed or even the 8th seed at best is because the West is just really loaded. You, you couple that with the fact that the Spurs are just so young and they don't really have stars, that's why the Spurs are where they are right now. If you look at the Spurs – uh, cap situation. They are just cash strapped at the moment. They have DeMar DeRozan who has a player option. Uh, he's His player option is $27 million. He can either opt in or opt out of that option. I honestly don't see him opting out because with how uncertain the right now is right right now is with the cold COVID pandemic that is going on. I think twenty seven million dollars will be the best you can get, especially uh, with the uncertain market. So I don't see him going anywhere. And then you mentioned the Marcus Aldridge; he's got twenty four million dollars left on the books. Rudy Gay's got fourteen million left on the books. Patty Mills has thirteen million left on the books. Trey Lyles he has five million left on the books, and the rest. They've got uh, two million, two million, and uh, Dejounte Murray. His extension kicks in uh, starting next season. He's got fourteen million uh, left. He's got fourteen million next season, and then you've got fifteen million uh, the season after, and then sixteen million in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. So if the Spurs can just you know navigate through this uh, upcoming season 
or next season, my bad, and they can get to 2021 that offseason, I think the Spurs, you should watch out for them as a team that could potentially chase uh, the stars that are on the market. There's going to be a lot of stars that are on the market in 2021. Guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Victor Oladipo, Kawhi Leonard is a free agent, Paul George is a free agent, LeBron James is going to be a free agent. So there's going to be a lot of stars on that market. So I think the Spurs are just waiting for the 2021 offseason to pounce on whatever stars and try to get them to San Antonio and then try to win uh, at that time while right now just focusing on the young talent that they have and developing that young talent. I kind of liken them to the Lakers. You know, the Lakers, they had uh, cap space, a lot of cap space for two years before LeBron James signed. But the reason why they didn't go out and chase superstars the offseason before LeBron James signed was because they were looking ahead to that free agency class where LeBron was a free agent, Paul George was a free agent, and many other free star free agents were free agents. And then that year, they endured a painful year where they were just focusing on development. And then they ended up got uh, LeBron James to look at that team and was like, oh my gosh, that team is young. They are a team that is uh, talented. That is very intriguing for me. So I think the Spurs are just in that stage right now. John, I definitely agree with Isaiah and also with what Carolina said before she, in fact, left the program was just that, you know, the Spurs are able to lure guys there. And also, like I said, though, I would think that if you want a coach to play for that will have your back and is not afraid to speak his mind, it is Greg Popovich. And he's he's a proven winner, knows how to get the job done. And again, in, in a market like San Antonio, where again, they're the main show in town down there in San Antonio. So, John, uh, what do you? what's probably like right now at this juncture, your very early outlook for the Spurs next season? I think that Isaiah was right, though, as was Carolina. A very jam-packed, congested Western Conference. Lakers, Clippers, Rockets, uh, you know, teams like that. Even a young Dallas team looking very good. Oklahoma City kind of being in a rebuild right now. John, give us your thoughts about the Spurs for at least uh, next season and, what, and probably your expectations for the Spurs ball club for next season. Greg Popovich is a genius. He's a mastermind. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA, but he's never had a coach on a young team before. You know, now the Spurs are embarking on a new era with a young nucleus. They have plenty of talent. They don't have those seasoned veterans that Greg Popovich was so used to coaching. It's a different time for the Spurs right now. And every team goes through this. Every team goes through a rebuilding stage. And that's what we're seeing with this Spurs team right here. I don't see them doing much next season. I think they have a chance to get into the playoffs, maybe get the eighth seed. But the West is just too deep. And these teams are loaded with star power. And the Spurs are still developing. They're a young team. They have a bunch of young guys, but they have promising, you know, players that could someday emerge into superstars. You know, so the Spurs are going to be around. Greg Popovich is not a bad coach. He's coached guys like Tim Duncan, Manuel Ginobili, you name it. He's had them, and he's done a terrific job with them, but – it wasn't so it wasn't so surprised surprising that the Spurs didn't make it to the playoffs last season because 
you have a lot of young guys on this team. I think the only guy that still remains on the team that was part of the championship team is Patty Mills. Everyone else is, you know, up and coming. They're new to the, the organization. So it's going to take some time for the Spurs to, you know, get back to where they once were. It's going to take some time before they even get back to the promised land. It might take a long time, um, you know, and people have to realize that the Spurs don't have Tim Duncan anymore. They don't right. have Ginobili anymore. They don't have Tony Parker anymore. That was a different era. So, I mean, instead of freaking out, just trust the process. You know, every team goes through this. There's no need to freak out over it. The Spurs will once again be back, but don't place any blame on Greg Popovich because we all know if he had the talent that was already that was already there for this big moment, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Absolutely agree for sure. Some more thoughts here. Angel says real quick, the Lakers don't need Aldridge. I would say he goes to the Dallas Mavericks maybe. Uh, you know, yeah. again, who knows about that in regards to Luca's health, uh, Porzingis's health? Who knows what really happens there? John, what do you think about that? I think if Aldridge went to a team like Dallas, he would throw off Luca's game because Luca runs an up tempo offense, and that would be too fast paced for Aldridge. He just wouldn't fit there. Um, James Gonzalez, guys, writes in real quick. Uh, he, uh, he says, I'd tank if I were the Spurs next season. Get a high pick and build around that for the future. And also, Angel says, also watch out for Golden State if both Curry and Thompson come yeah. back 100%. Isaiah wanted, Isaiah wanted to add on one point. What do you got for us, bud? Yeah, I wanted to add a point about in regards to uh, DeMar DeRozan and his potential free agency. Yes, I said earlier that – um, I believe he should accept that $27 million player option. But I have heard rumors in the past, uh, the past few months, that he could decline it and um, accept like a like a Boogie Cousins, like really short, uh, short term, short salary type deal to go back home and play for his hometown childhood team, the Los Angeles Lakers. Because at this point of his career, DeMar DeRozan, he's tired of, you know, just being either like at the eighth seed or, you know, at the ninth seed and barely missing the playoffs. He wants to win a championship. So watch out for potentially DeMar DeRozan doing the Boogie Cousins uh, route and signing a very short deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, that would really help the Lakers because I think he would be a much, uh, he would be a vast improvement at shooting guard over Danny Green and maybe KCP. But uh, I also wanted to respond to the point about Aldridge. One destination I could see De LaMarcus Aldridge going and that is the Houston Rockets if they hire Jeff Van Gundy. Because we've said in the past, Jeff Van Gundy, the system he likes to run is a slow-paced, half-court set style of offense. If Van Gundy goes to Houston, he is not going to run that you know up-tempo, small-ball style of offense. If he goes to Houston, that means Houston is committed to a uh, slow-paced, half-court style of offense, and I think he will fit right in perfectly if they do run that offense with James Harden and with Russell Westbrook. So perhaps uh, uh, perhaps Houston being on that list. Some more comments, guys, trickling in. 
Uh, James Gonzalez once more. Aldridge is the type of player that is becoming extinct in the NBA in his mind. Casey agrees about Golden State. They, uh, they'll they be back competitive, and not only Clay and Steph coming back, they also get the second uh, pick in the draft. They will be competitive again next the season. Ball. Uh, James also writes in that DeRozan should get his money with the Knicks and hope to win some there. Are we really sure about the New York Knicks? <laughs> Sorry, I, I just like laughing at the New York Knicks. My sincerest apologies to Knicks fans out there. And also Angel says, would not be a bad idea. Remember, DeRozan is also a fight-on USC alum, so playing for the Lakers or even the Clippers maybe would uh, be a good homecoming for uh, him as well um, in that retrospect. With that, guys, before we get to our last segment, I wanted to roll this earlier in the show but didn't feel like we had time because of our guest again, folks, the great Carolina Teague um joining us from 9 30 a.m the answer down in san antonio with that folks let's roll some tape and uh see what happened over the uh, over the weekend uh here on the uh, network give me ryan fitzpatrick give me ace ventura give me snowflake and give me the dolphins because i am very concerned about how in fact garoppolo is that's why i picked miami fellows in the in, in our group pickums even before Garoppolo was going to come back because I just didn't know, for one, who was going to start. But also, now that he's back, though, how healthy is he actually going to be? I'm going to go with Miami in this game just for the reason of the question marks, again, uh, being posed by the uh, by the, uh, uh, by the uh, 49ers and their uh, offense and also their quarterback situation. The thing that I think at this point in time is going to dictate how game six goes is if the Lakers are playing from behind. I would I would think a lot of people would agree with me. If the Lakers find themselves losing the first quarter by any stretch of the imagination, that they would in fact lose this game. If the Lakers are off to a sloppy start with turnovers, unnecessary flashy play, uh, and missing shots, they're not going to win this game. And I really think that the first quarter, the first 12 minutes maybe in my mind, dictate who wins this game whether it's the lakers if they come out firing on all cylinders And now, folks, make it three for three with the New Orleans Saints beating the L.A. Chargers in overtime, 30-27. That, folks, transpired over the entire weekend right here on the MI6 Sports Network in regards to Ace Ventura, Snowflake, the Dolphin, and the Miami Dolphins beating the San Francisco 49ers handily from Santa Clara, California on Sunday. And also, of course, the Lakers winning the first quarter, 28-20, and also winning their 17th NBA title. And now I will take credit for the Saints going and marching in and beating the L.A. Chargers at home, 30-27. With that in mind, Isaiah, will let you respond about the warful weekend for you and your selections. First of all, let me say this. I am officially coming live on here and canceling the season on the San Francisco 49ers. The season is over, 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 over. Throw that season in the garbage can and see y'all in 2021 because that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my Sundays right now. The 49ers season is officially over. We had the easiest 
five-game stretch of your schedule, you're playing teams like the Cardinals, uh, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Giants, and the Woefully Eagles, and you go two and three. Are you kidding me, man? Like, that's, that's a disgrace right there. You made Ryan Fitzpatrick look like the second coming of Dan Marino yesterday. Like, I'm, I'm still confused, man. Like, who knows? That might be Dan Marino in Ryan in a Ryan Fitzpatrick costume out there on the field. Like, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing yesterday. The defense was garbage. The offense couldn't pass block or run block to save uh, their life. I guarantee you, like, a six-year-old girl or a six-year-old could have ran through that offensive line and gotten to the quarterback. That's how pathetic they were. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was terrible. The running game was non-existent. I mean, we just can't do anything right this year. Everybody keeps getting hurt. Today we got another injury. Quan Alexander is probably going to miss the next couple of games with a high ankle sprain. And Richard Sherman, who was supposed to come back this week when we play the L.A. Rams, he's not going to come back this week because he suffered a setback from his calf injury. So that season is over. The Especially we have the gauntlet of the next six games. We're playing the Rams, the Seahawks, the Patriots. The, uh, the Packers, the Saints, the Rams again, and the Buffalo Bills, we will be lucky to win at least one game in that massive seven-game stretch. The 49ers are going to be picking in the top three in the NFL draft. It's, it's just inevitable. The season is over, ladies and gentlemen. Just cancel the season on the Niners. Cancel the freaking season. I'm done, man. <laughs> John, I will let you respond as mentioned, man. That was me picking the Dolphins on Friday on No BS. That was also me picking the Lakers to win the first quarter of the game uh, and win the game on Sunday. Then, of course, Isaiah's outlandish rubbish about the Chargers somehow beating the Saints in New Orleans. That, of course, didn't come to fruition. So uh, three for three in selections. And, John, uh, we'll let you uh, perhaps respond uh, to uh, either the uh, my predictions or Isaiah's thoughts about his Niners. Well, Isaiah has a lot of passion for the 49ers, but um, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry that the season has sadly come to an end because I don't see them savaging this season. I don't think, you know, a season like this is survivable for the 49ers. And, you know, I a lot of people had a lot of hope. Um, a lot of people had faith in these 49ers because of what they accomplished last season. So, you know, whenever a team gets to the Super Bowl and you come into the following season, the expectations are immense. You know, there's a lot on you. And sometimes it's the hangover that gets to you. And sometimes it's just the fact that you're not playing well. And the 49ers, their defense doesn't look good. Um, their quarterback play doesn't look good without Jimmy G. Um, you know, people doubted Jimmy G. Now all of a sudden they want to show their appreciation to Jimmy G now that he's not there. Um, that's why they always say, what's that famous saying? They always say, you don't appreciate something until you go until it's gone. You don't realize what you have until it's gone. And now 49er fans are starting to see that Jimmy G is that serviceable quarterback that's gonna be needed if they wanna have any chance. His play on the field 
translated into success for the 49ers. Last season, their defense was the strength of their of their dominance. That's all changed. It seems like the defense is in Achilles heels for them. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like we said, the season is over. But Isaiah, you can't just cancel the season. You, that, I mean, they got to play out the rest of the games. And if they just finish with a lousy three, uh, only three win record, then hey, or even one win or two. What's their record right now? They're two and three right now with the Rams coming up and then Patriots, yeah. Seahawks, Packers, Saints, Rams, and Bills. Well, the Rams aren't doing all that great either. So don't be surprised if the 49ers get a third win against the Rams. I'm just saying the Rams are not playing that great of defense either. They're getting by each week. They're getting by. They they barely beat the Giants. And, you know, they, they struggled. Last weekend against the defense, I, I forgot the team they played. Um, they struggled. The they they struggled against the Giants, you know. So, um, I mean, you never know. The 49ers could easily take that game from the Rams. I'm not saying they are, but, you know, sometimes the Rams' defense falls asleep and anybody, a JV – High school team could even beat them sometimes. So, um, you know, that could be the matchup where your Niners uh, pull off the victory. I, I I don't know. I'm just I'm just playing the guessing game right here. But uh, I don't know. It, it just doesn't look good for the 49ers. But I'm sorry, man. I, I, you know, maybe you should uh, seek grief counseling if that's what's going <laughs> to help you. I'm sitting here clowning right now. Psychiatric help is five cents. Uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Lucy will see you uh, underneath the uh, giant red sign there, Isaiah. Some thoughts here, guys, about the NBA first. Uh, Christy, about the Knicks, they are where NBA players' go, uh, careers go to die. And also, Angel agrees the Knicks are just bad. Uh, also, James oh, says, I was right about that Dolphins game. Uh, I was right about that Dolphins game. Like I said, I'll take Snowflake. I'll take Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura. I'll take Dan Marino to beat the uh, Niners any day of the week. So I'll definitely go with that one. Uh, also, as well, Christy says the Brooklyn Nets are the team in New York. Mm, I'll go with Sabrina Ionescu and the New York Liberty over the Knicks and the Nets right now at, at this juncture. Also, Angel says that Dolan has done everything but move the Knicks to St. Louis and hire Whoopi Goldberg at this juncture. <laughs> Maybe about that. I don't know about that. Uh, also, Christy agrees, uh, got to get the, uh, the Sasha Banks shades out. I bought these at the swap meet for 80s night during a uh, hockey game I was announcing last year, so that's where I got them from. Uh, Angel offers up to Isaiah, though. I'm going to buy some iced coffee from McDonald's to drown my sorrows. I'll, buy, I'll bring you one, Isaiah, so he also agrees about that. But Angel, though, more seriously agrees. Everyone knew, though, that Jimmy G was not ready, and that's why I wanted to save him for next week's game on SNF. And, of course, David wants to chime in about his Browns. The Browns are 4-1, and one, folks, for the first time since I was born 26 years ago when Belichick was out coaching and Saban was an assistant. So that should that shows you how good it is. But, of course, I think the Jameson's also had guys had the best comment last night, though. We'll see how uh, for real they are, though, against the uh, coming up against the Steelers this week. And also, Angel says he's not ready to give up on the Niners just yet. Still early on the season. Last season was no accident. Take away all the injuries. The 49ers are at best 11-5 and, and could see them bouncing back. 
And also, uh, David says uh, the Niners still have a chance against the Pats, even if Cam does play. And also, I can help you, Isaiah, plenty of experience in grief. Ha, 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 being a Cleveland sports fan. And also, James, the Niners got to run the ball well and have long drives versus the Rams to have a shot. It is mine. Isaiah, please respond. What do you got? The one shining moment or the shining thing about, like, this dark uh, place that I'm in right now with my Niners is that even if we, like, go 3-13 and 13 or 4-12 and 12 or whatever, uh, we will have a top pick to get either a uh, one of the top quarterbacks in this loaded NF uh, this loaded uh, draft class coming up, or we could get another like big time pass rusher, offensive lineman to help our offensive line, which desperately needs help, or defensive line. So that's like the bright spot about this. If there is a bright spot right now for the future for the Niners at this juncture, but again, still a long ways to go in the NFL. Uh, with that, Isaiah, we'll start with you on two baseball topics away from the game. So, of course, the Rays winning game two over Houston, 4-2. Uh, to And, of course, the uh, Braves topped the Dodgers in game one of their NLCS. But, Isaiah, more so on the field moves being done and also in the front office uh, with two different American League ball clubs, both the A's and the uh, – <laughs> John, what do you got for us here, buddy? John has got a <laughs> – Oh, man, a police pursuit being shown on KTTV, Fox 11 in his greater area up in Los Angeles. But Isaiah, let's first, though, man, start with the Isaiah. Let's first start, though, man, with the news uh, from the White Sox, the very perhaps uh, perhaps long overdue or perhaps maybe undertimed uh, move of them firing longtime manager Rick Renteria earlier on Monday in a very surprising move confirmed by the Chicago media. Isaiah, I think a lot of people said that the White Sox may be one year ahead of their curve to maybe make that jump to the postseason. But, of course, Lucas Giolito, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, a very fun ball club to watch. But, Isaiah, this is probably one of the most confusing moves so far. This very, very young baseball offseason for a lot of these ball clubs who are no longer in the postseason party. Isaiah, give us your thoughts and, a, and your reaction uh, to this story. Again, Rick Renteria fired by the White Sox earlier on Monday. Well, I have two feelings on this. I was shocked because I thought he did a fantastic job uh, coaching the Chicago White Sox this year. They went 35 and 25. They they almost won the AL Central and they pushed my Oakland A's to game three of the, our best three. So they look very promising. I mean, they have a lot of young talent. You talk about Giolito and then you move to guys like Luis Robert, um, uh, uh, Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, and they've got some great veterans to help them out. Yasmani Grandal, Dallas Keiko, to name a few. So this team is not just here for like, it's not just going to be here for one year. They're going to be here for a long time. They, they are going to be a, a pain in the ass for a while. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, this White Sox team continue their growth. But you know, I, the reason why I was pissed is because you guys all know me. I'm a guy that loves to watch managerial ejections. And Rick Renteria has probably one of the most entertaining ejections uh, like of all current managers. This guy is so entertaining when he's out there screaming at umpires, ripping umpires. I love this guy uh, when he gets ejected. It's so hilarious to watch. So that's uh, the part I'm going to miss the most about Rick Renteria. Um, being an MLB manager, I hope he gets a new job so that I can watch him get ejected and go and, you know, rip the uh, umpires again. It's going to be so hilarious. But on a serious level, though, um, I think that this move kind of likens me to, to when the Astros 
fired Bo Porter after years of development, and they moved on to A.J. Hinch when they felt like they were ready for a guy that they can take to the next level. And I think that's what this move is. You know, I don't think that Rick Renteria is a bad manager. I just think that he's a guy that is a great developer of young talent, but he's not a guy that's going to help you go over the hump and start winning ball game. Yes, he did it this year, but he's not going to get – the White Sox are a team that want to go to the ALCS or the World Series. So I think, like, they saw the market. A.J. Hinch is available, uh, or he's going to be available after his suspension and uh, after the World Series. Uh, Alex Cora is available. Uh, also, I heard Tony La Russa, they reached out to him, and they have mutual uh, interest. That's going to be very interesting. I don't know if that's going to be a good fit for them, considering he's, like, 78 right now, and I don't know if he wants to go back and experience the daily grind and the daily travel of managing a major league ball club. But nevertheless, I think that uh, whoever they hire has to have a lot of experience uh, and has to have winning on their resume uh, for the White Sox to hire them. John, where do you stand on this move with Rick Renteria being fired? Or is it, you know, I think it's confusing. It's puzzling. It's maybe a little bit weird, though, against seeing a ball club that was in the postseason, then all of a sudden can their manager with, again, a very exciting ball club and a very compacted and very, you know, uh, you know, hotly contested AL Central division between Minnesota, the White Sox, and also with the Indians as well. Some comments, though, uh, real quick before we get to that, John. Uh, Angel agrees. Surprised that Renneria was let go or resigned as the White Sox manager. Casey calls the move stupid. Uh, he did a uh, he did a great job with the White Sox, and also uh, Angel agrees that the White Sox uh, better hire a good manager that will help the young stars. But James writes in to say that the White Sox probably need a young, a new and younger voice to uh, get to these guys on their level. But John, uh, what are your thoughts more so about this uh, move here? by the White Sox again, uh, letting go uh, longtime uh, skipper Rick Renneria earlier on Monday. What do you got for us? Hey, before I give my thoughts on that, breaking news. The guy that stole the U-Haul truck is an angry Dodger fan. Oh, great. Yeah. But that's, anyway, what, that's what we need. Yeah, anyway, let me get on to uh, this topic about the, the Chicago White Sox. Look, I don't agree with the firing. I think Rick Renteria was doing a good job. He did an amazing job. Look, the Chicago White Sox were ahead of their time. I think they overachieved, Colin. You know, I didn't expect them to go as far as they did this season. You know, Lucas Giolito, he emerged into a perennial ace. Uh, Tim Anderson put up batting, batting title-like numbers. Uh, then you had uh, Rick Renteria, who held things, who held the team together. You know, it's an amazing team that's well on its way to be something great. And to see them depart, uh, you know, to see them go their separate ways is, is a bit strange to me. Um, it's shocking to many of us. Um, you know, his departure is very uh staggering i don't understand why they would fire him when he did a terrific job my only guess is that they have someone else in mind for the job maybe that we don't know about that's the only reason i can think why they would fire him i don't i don't see why else you would fire him um in a situation like this because 
the team wasn't doing bad. The team was doing good. And they had actually gotten better with Rick Renteria as their manager. So the only thing I could think of is that they have someone else in mind for the job. Definitely for sure. There's got to be a, you know, not probably not a long list, but a very short list, I think, of guys that are probably going to be getting that uh, phone calls or emails about the job vacancy. Uh, Angel writes him once more, not just the Whites, uh, not just that, the White Sox were fighting Minnesota for the AL Central before they sadly ran out of gas. Definitely agree. Again, trying to contain that Minnesota offense is, again, very tough to do. With that, Isaiah, one more baseball story, uh, but involving your hometown Oakland A's, though, and it's kind of, in a way, man, a very sad close to a longtime chapter for the A's organization, longtime executive, and, of course, the man behind the Moneyball A's back in the early 2000s. But I'm going to call him the legend himself, though, but Billy Bean uh, stepping away from the ball club after 30-plus years of service to the Oakland Athletics. Of course, Isaiah, uh, this man has done a lot of great things for the game of baseball in regards to how they – Again, try to uh, share their product with the uh, LGBTQ community and also as well about uh, what Billy has done, though, for the A's over the past several years. Of course, the Moneyball A's, again, the talking point of books and movies and stuff like that. Isaiah, I I'm going to call this a very like sad to a very long time chapter because when you see a uh, like a front office member, a coach or a player who's been with us, you know, with one organization, as I said, though, in our in our host group chat last night, Isaiah, uh, replying to Stephen Wang about, I think, his thoughts about LeBron James is that there's only two legitimate guys in my mind and my brief time watching sports over the past 26 years that really exemplified that word of loyalty to one organization. Kobe Bryant and Tony Gwynn are probably the only two guys I can name off the top of my head because, again, very young and unafraid as I am. But Isaiah, I'm calling this a very, you know, sad close to a chapter because, you know, Billy Bean has been a part of this A's organization for a long time. Again, the uh, the brains behind the money bar, uh, money, uh, the money ball philosophy in regards to, you know, not paying guys a lot, but finding guys again on base, uh, grind out at bats, OBP, uh, on base percentage, uh, you know, maybe your occasional home run, but more so paying guys to just get on base with a very small budget at hand. Isaiah, give us your thoughts and maybe your reaction and also a final rundown of uh, Billy Bean's time up with the uh, Oakland Athletics. Hello, you guys got me? Yes, we do. Uh, Callan, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry, I missed the question earlier because uh, my mushroom and Swiss burger had arrived via DoorDash, so I had to go get that. Hi, Columba, mister. Ah! The question was, Isaiah, in regards to the Oakland A's, as I said, though, man, I'm calling this a very, you know, sad close to a chapter for Billy Bean, again, a guy who's been a part of this organization for a long time. And again, uh, the focal point of books and uh, movies in regards to, again, that Moneyball philosophy. Isaiah, give us your final thoughts maybe on Billy Bean and his time with the Oakland Athletics and what he's done for the game as well. Wow, this, when I first heard this today, it was... Uh, a really shocking move because Billy Bean has been the face of the Oakland A's franchise for I think the past 25 to 30 years. He's been there with the A's first as a player and then transitioning into the front office and working himself working his way up to being the GM of the A's. Uh, this is a guy that um, has really pioneered Moneyball. He's He's been 
He's, he started what basically everybody in baseball has been doing right now for the last five years, and that is using analytics. Um, this man, I think, should be in the Hall of Fame for what he's done. He's a pioneer. Uh, the A's are definitely going to miss him very, very much. Um, and, you know, I wonder when I first heard this news, my, my, I wonder was, is this going to shift now with Billy Bean out the door, is this going to shift into a new start for the A's that I think the A's desperately need? Because, we, you know, we Billy Bean, he's been there for 30 years. The A's have never reached the World Series under Billy Bean, except for when Billy Bean was a player in the, in the 1989 team. So I think the A's, they need a fresh start. They need some new voices in that front office. They need a new voice at manager because you have so much talent right now on this ball club with guys like Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, uh, Jesus Lazardo, uh, Chris Bassett. You have a lot of young talent. You have a good young core in place in Oakland, and they just need a guy and that can take them uh, over that hump because the A's are too talented to continue uh, losing in the first or the second round of the MLB playoffs. So I think that this could be a good thing for the A's. It gives them a new voice, probably in the front office and maybe in the coaching staff with maybe Bob Melvin being out the door uh, because a new executive in the front office would mean that they want their own guy as manager. John, what are your thoughts about the news again? Like I said, I'm calling it a close to a very, you know, a very awesome chapter, though, for the A's and their franchise. Again, Billy being a longtime player, now, of course, uh, with the A's, and again, working his way up, paying the dues to get to that top spot. And again, in a way, probably revolutionizing baseball to what it once was in 2000, in the early 2000s, again, where he paid guys to just get on base. You know, we don't care about home runs or batting average, but get on base, grind out at bats. And again, it worked there in that 2002 season, but as mentioned, the A's have been stuck in the mud for a long time, though, trying to get over that hump in the ALDS, though. But John, uh, give us your reaction, maybe some thoughts about Billy Bean, again, closing probably uh, one of the hardest chapters of his uh, professional baseball career, uh, leaving the Oakland Athletics behind after, a, again, a very long stretch there up in the Bay Area. Billy Bean ushered in the Moneyball era. You know, he like you said, revolutionize the game of baseball. And to see him go is tough, but maybe this is the start of a new beginning for the Absolutely. Um, maybe they will go in a positive direction without Billy Bean being in their corner. Um, you know, everything must come to an end, and sometimes we need uh, new and sometimes we're not acceptable to change but change is not always a bad thing sometimes change is a good thing and that's probably what the Oakland A's need um, maybe the new guy that comes in he won't inherit uh, Bob Melvin and maybe he'll get rid of Bob Melvin I think Bob Melvin's time is up. He's been there long enough. I think they need a new voice in their clubhouse. And maybe the new guy who comes in will finally uh, cut ties with him. Or maybe he'll stay with him and see what he does under his watch for one year. And if it, if there's no change, then he'll probably uh, make a move on it. But um, hopefully it's a guy who's knowledgeable, who's smart, 
and who understands the game of baseball that takes over the Oakland A's organization. Because again, it's an extremely talented uh, team. They have a lot of household names there and they have guys who can flat out hit in that lineup. So it'll be great to see uh, what happens in the coming months for this Oakland A's team. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what direction the A's do, in fact, go. But again, folks, as mentioned, some off-the-field news, but once more, as already uh, talked about, folks, but again, Rick Renderia fired by the Chicago White Sox as on-field manager and Billy Bean announcing his plans to leave the Oakland A's after at least a 30-plus-year career with the Oakland A's ball club. With that, gents, we'll now segue over into tonight's final thoughts. Time to wrap things up, folks, on this Monday night, October 12, 2020, in our 26th episode here, 27th episode maybe here of Wild Sports Talk on this Monday night. With that, Isaiah, we'll start with you, man, for our uh, for your final thoughts for tonight's show. All right, before I give my explosive final thoughts, I just want to thank all the viewers out there for tuning in and watching this show. You know, we really, really appreciate you guys' support, tuning into every single program that we put on here in the MI6 Sports Network. You guys mean the world to us, so thank you so much for watching uh, our programs. We're going to continue to put on great programs for you, so make sure you guys tune in uh, to the ones in the future as well, uh, especially tune in to the one that is coming up on Halloween we night where me, John, Callen, and the entire crew here at the MI6 Sports Network, the Halloween spook spooktacular that we're calling it, me, John, uh, Callen, and the rest of the MI6 Sports Network crew, we're going to be dressing up in costumes and we're going to just sit down at the table and talk sports and maybe tell some Halloween spooky stories uh, to celebrate the fact that we reached a thousand uh listens on anchors that's gonna be a fun night but uh oh and also i want to thank carolina teague for uh taking uh time off her schedule and coming on the show she was fantastic tonight really hope that she uh comes back on our show it was a great great episode um as far as my final thoughts is concerned i gotta go on here right now and lamb blast the chargers kicker Dude, I think his name is Marvin Bagley. Correct me if I'm wrong, Callie. Is it Marvin Bagley or Michael Bagley, the uh, the Chargers kicker? Hmm, couldn't tell you. They play in L.A. Sorry. I think, I, I think it's Michael. Not Michael Bagley. Michael Bagley, you miss not only an extra point, but Justin Herbert, the prodigal court, the quarterback, the prodigy, he sets you up with a bomb down the middle of the field to set you up for a game-winning field goal to finally give you guys a win. But, oh, no, you just can't. You just can't afford to win. So what do you do? You kick the field goal, and it hits the crossbar. Are you kidding me, my guy? Like, dude. You are a professional kicker. You get paid millions and millions of money not to have to get hit, but to kick the freaking ball. Make your freaking field goals, man. Like, that's what you get paid to do. I mean, if, if you can't make your field goals, go work at a damn coffee shop. You don't belong in the NFL. Like, I just, 
I'm just so frustrated that this Chargers kicker were continuing to miss field goals and spoiling my pick on the San Diego, on the Los Angeles Chargers. I feel bad for all those Chargers fans out there that have to, you know, endure this crap every single weekend. They deserve better. And Michael Bagley, man. Shame on you for missing that easy field goal, man. Shame on you. I could have kicked it. Just look at this. Give me the ball and let me kick the damn field goal next time. New City. Same old Chargers. The Chargers lose again. The Chargers lose again. 60 years of losing. The Chargers lose again. Sorry, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with David, though. Uh, his explosive thought, though, if the Chargers keep building that team, Herbert will be the best QB in this draft. I agree, but sadly, no one really cares in L.A. So, I mean, it is what it is. He'll be under the radar forever. And Angel agrees. That, uh, his name is Michael. It's not in the Bagley in regards to the Chargers kicker. With that, John, we'll go to you now, man, for your final thoughts for the night show. Yes. I want to thank all our viewers, particularly our loyal viewers. You guys are awesome. You guys are so wonderful. It's fun to have you guys join us for the show because without you guys, none of this is possible. So I want to thank all of you guys for tuning in to us. We, we promise to have a great show on Wednesday night. I'm sitting here now watching this pursuit behind me. Uh, these pursuits are so entertaining. You know, you, you, you never know how they're going to end because they, they, they never have the same ending. So it's always fun to sit here and watch car chases. Yes, James, <laughs> car chases are a Southern California tradition. Certainly they are. You know, and every time one comes on, they break into regularly scheduled programs. It, it's crazy um, just for a pursuit, and everyone tunes in. Now you have Facebook Live. You can watch them there. <laughs> it's, always, it's always fun. Colin's laughing because he knows he watches Oh, absolutely. Them. I mean, absolutely. it's great entertainment. It's epic theater, you know, like I said. You never know how what's gonna happen. And Colin, I think what gets you so so uh, excited and caught up in the moment is the fact that there's so much suspense, uh, you know, there. So, I mean, hey, I'm I'm enjoying it right now. The guy stole a U-Haul truck. I joked about it and said he was an angry Dodger fan who stole the truck. You know. That that's that, that's just me being hilarious, trying to be anyway. Um, but um, yes, I want to thank all you guys for uh, tuning in, and congratulations once again to the Los Angeles Lakers. They deserve it. They deserved it. They earned it. They played their hearts out, you know, and they bought home another NBA title to add to their shiny collection of NBA trophies, number 17 and possibly number 18 next year, and they did it for Kobe Bryant. What a way to finish the season. The longest NBA season in the history of the sport. With that, folks, some more thoughts. Uh, James says the Chargers are going to charge an, an uh, Angel with the best one. Uh, fellas, this comment rolled in from Angel. At this point, the Chargers just need to sign good old Charlie Brown. 
Wow. That is the comment of the night, folks. And Isaiah agrees that he's all hunched over in. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they don't have Lucy to hold to hold the kid. <laughs> I think they probably will, honestly. If it goes according to what Charles M. Schultz always drew out, it's going to follow that same exact script. But with that, folks, my final thoughts. Hopefully Lucy is not the holder. Let's hope not. Fingers crossed. But we'll see how, how things happen. With that, folks, my final thoughts for tonight's show. Of course, as usual, a major thank you to all of you great, loyal MI6 viewers. Again, folks, like I've said plenty of times, we would not be where we're at right now. Again, inching ever so close to 1,000 anchor listens. Also, folks, on another somber note, but as mentioned perhaps earlier today, but sadly, one of the all-time greats of Major League Baseball and a member of the Big Red Machine back in the 70s and also longtime ESPN TV analyst, but the great Joe Morgan sadly passed away earlier on Monday after a lengthy health issue. He was battling, of course, Joe for a long time, him and John Miller, the A-team, calling ESPN uh, baseball for the postseason, the regular season, or whatnot. So, again, uh, sadly, Joe Morgan passing away, again, one of the key cogs of that uh, team. Uh, for the big red machine as well at this juncture. With that, though, folks, again, I want to once more, folks, uh, as uh, mentioned, again, thank John for, again, uh, get, uh, getting uh, Caroline T. Again, folks, on the program. Again, folks, you can catch Carolina's program every single Sunday morning, 10 o'clock Central Time, 8 o'clock a.m. Pacific Time on 9.30 a.m. K-Loop in uh, San Antonio. Again, she's on air for an hour every Sunday on the Sports Dime uh, down there in San Antonio, Texas. And of course, folks, we'll be back with the folks uh, with program continuing on uh, Tuesday, of course, with the night shift with myself and Isaiah Leung on Tuesday. And also, of course, folks, we are back on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. to wrap up our week here on WST and also as well, fan response back on Thursday and another episode of No BS on Friday. And of course, plenty more night shift action on Saturday and on Sunday. And as a reminder, folks, again, Click that uh, again, folks. Be sure to join us again for the Halloween spectacular on Halloween night. As John shows off the how many licks does it take to get to the bottom of a uh, to the middle of a of a uh, Tootsie Pop? I, I, that's probably the greatest advertisement of all time that has never ever been uh, solved. Uh, sadly, uh, at this juncture. But again, great folks, shirt, John. Yeah, great Thank shirt. Again. We'll probably have another good one from John coming up on Wednesday. But with that, folks, for John Mathis. Isaiah wants to add another point. What he got there, bud? I can't wait to see what John wears as his Halloween costume on the Halloween spectacular. Because this guy has great T-shirts. Like, every day he comes up with a great T-shirt. So I can't wait to see what his costume is. I really can't. We'll see what uh, John has up his sleeves. I may have hinted at mine on Instagram a couple days ago for my Halloween costume. So we'll see how things go. And Angel agrees. The world may never know how many licks, how many licks it, takes, it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. So we'll see how things go. And also James agrees. Joe Morgan and John Miller were uh, was so easy to listen to on all those ESPN Sunday night baseball games. Absolutely. With I that, folks, guys. absolutely miss those guys. And again, John Miller's doing some great work, though, with the Giants on local radio up in the Bay Area. But again, folks, well out of time here. Again, folks, a major shout out again to our uh, homegirl tonight, Car uh, Carolina Teague, again from uh, K-Loop AM, 9.30 AM, the answer down in San Antonio for, again, hopping on the show earlier on tonight. And again, folks, as a reminder, but again, plenty more programming coming up uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you name it. We're back on here, folks. All week, as usual here, back 
on the 6th. But again, folks, for John Mathis, for Isaiah Lee Young, this is Cal McClurk saying good night here from San Diego, California. Have a great rest of your night, folks. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. So long, sign our farewell. We are out of here. Until next time, folks, have a good one. Till next time, bye-bye.